Good evening, everybody. Welcome back to, where are we? Exploring the Lord of the Rings. That's where we are. This is session number 234. Uh, I'm uh, very happy this evening, fresh back from Comic-Con, um, where I've been having a whole big Rings of Power thing. Um, it was uh, a really, really fun occasion where I got to uh, uh, talk to the showrunners of the Rings of Power show again, got to meet the whole cast, uh, which was really fun. Um, uh, several of whom uh, uh, listened to this show, by the way. Um, and, uh, and then also uh, got to, had my... Uh, had my, my, my 15 minutes of fame when uh, uh, Stephen Colbert mentioned this class. Uh, it, it's you know, been known that he uh, is uh, a viewer of this class for a long time, and he uh, gave it a shout-out uh, in Hall H there uh, in, the big, uh, in the big Comic-Con presentation. Um, uh, he's still about a year and a half behind us in real time here, but uh, he'll catch up eventually. Um, but uh, anyway... That was a lot, that was a, that was a lot of fun. So anyway, let's um, uh, let's uh, sort of move forward. One thing I wanted to say at the beginning: I apologize. There's a lot of travel going on this summer, um, and also other things in the midst of much other excitement. Um, we also have a major institutional deadline coming up here at Signum. Um, I don't think I'm going to be able to broadcast next week. And then the week after that, I'm going to be traveling again. So after tonight, it's going to be, it's going to be three weeks. It's going to be until um, August. Uh, what is it? Like the 17th or whatever, whatever that week, whatever the Tuesday in that week is, uh, will be uh, the next, uh, the next time we'll be able to broadcast live. I'm afraid. Um, so I'll be missing the first two, um, the first two weeks of, of uh, of August there. Just want to make sure everybody knows that. Um, and uh, let me also uh, my my plug this week. Two plugs. First of all, um, Buckeye Moot is coming up this weekend. So this weekend I'm going to Ohio uh, to Cincinnati, and we're going to be having a moot there. You can still sign up for uh, to attend virtually uh, to Buckeye Moot. So I hope that uh, folks will be able to join us. It's going to be a great fun discussion uh, over there. Um, so that's happening this coming weekend. I also wanted to point out a couple really exciting. Tolkien studies opportunities that are coming up in our space program next month in August. That is starting next week. Um, we have two really cool Tolkien modules, um, both of which will really help you to uh, to kind of brush up and prepare for the Rings of Power show in September. One uh, is James Tauber and Elise Trudel Cedeno's module on the Second Age. Um, they just do a survey of like what we know about the Second Age so that you can get a really good, clear idea of the the stuff that Tolkien uh, talked about and thought through with regard to the Second Age. It's a really great overview of the Second Age. The other Tolkien module that uh, you might want to know about for people who want to delve even deeper uh, than that, though it's safe, I promise, no Balrogs uh, should uh, be excavated in the process, um, is uh, the module by Jen Raimondo, or sorry, Jen Rogers. <laughs> 
I still think of her as Jen Raimondo. Jen Rogers, um, who is teaching a module called When Tolkien Wrote Time Travel. So that's going to be about the Lost Road and the Notion Club papers. Um, uh, so, um, anyway, um, that's, <laughs> Dorward is laughing at me for getting Jen's name wrong. I do that all the time. Uh, former students who go off and get married and change their names. Anyway, um, so both of those modules are happening in August. I wanted to, uh, to, to bring your attention to those. And then in September, we're also going to be running a module on the Rings of Power show. So if you'd like to get together uh, with, uh, with a, a group of people uh, under the guidance of a professor, we've got Dr. Sarah Brown and James Tauber, both of them, uh, um, uh, precepting uh, that uh, those modules, um, so you can get together with you know a Tolkien expert and uh, some uh, some like-minded friends uh, for a good, meaty, deep, in-depth uh, exploration of that show as we go through uh, the first month of the show in September. Um, so that's that's going to be running in September, of course, uh, and uh, the Second Age and when Tolkien wrote Time Travel will be running in August. Uh, so definitely wanted to draw your attention to those things. Yes, and a module on Tolkien's translation of Sir Gowan and the Green Knight. Absolutely. Yeah. So there's all kinds of um, all kinds of really great courses being offered uh, in our space program. If you haven't checked out space recently, you should. Signumuniversity.org slash space. Uh, and there is a lot uh, that is going on there. Um, we're um, We've expanded our languages too. Like in addition to teaching Old Norse and Latin and Greek and uh, and Old English, as we've been doing, we're also now teaching Japanese. Uh, we're teach we're going to start Chinese soon. It's, there's all kinds of stuff going on there. Um, it's going to be uh, it's going to be awesome. And yeah, praise I know like so many courses, so little time. One of the cool things about space is that the courses are really short, right? They're just one month modules, and they come around again fairly regularly. So um, if you miss them now, you'll get another chance soon. Um, but, um, uh, and it's not, you know, they're, uh, they're each one of them kind of short, so you can, you can take a bunch of them. But anyway, just definitely wanted to, um, uh, uh, just wanted to, to encourage that. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, is the Greek taught Attic Greek or Koine Greek? Um, well, I know we do, um, we do some of both, I believe, but, um, uh, the, uh, the, f the, we do both beginning Greek and uh, advanced Greek classes. We do some reading classes. Um, so we were doing an advanced Greek reading class on the Gospel of John, for instance. Um, definitely Koine Greek. Um, so anyway, there's all kinds of um, um, there's all there's all kinds of things uh, that you can do. So anyway, I, I encourage you to look into the module list. Our creative writing program, so exciting in space. Uh, really great stuff um, happening there. Um, uh, one of the members of our creative writing classes is uh, our own familiar mad violinist uh, who's often here with us. Um, and he read something that he had been working on through um, uh, the creative writing uh, processes, uh, the, you know, modules at, um, at Mythmoot. He read, it was amazing, amazing stuff. Um, he wrote, uh, he finished The Lay of Lathian, you know, a little side project. And it was gorgeous. Oh my goodness. I was like, bawling. Um, but anyway, um, all kinds of fun stuff. Um, but anyway, let us move back into the, I could talk about 
how much fun the space program is all day long. Um, but um, I will. Uh, uh, but let's move into the text here because it is time for one of one of my low key favorite passages uh, from this uh, from this whole chapter, and that's Legolas's comment about Eregion. So um, we talked about the first paragraph of this passage. Um, uh, Mary inquiring about the next plan right after they get to the great river. And we talked about the lack of a plan uh, and the way, the way that Gandalf seems to be leaving that open. We talked about whether Gandalf was having some actual presentiment of the breaking of the fellowship. Um, and um, uh, and I, I think, again, it's, I'll restate my opinion that I don't, this, I don't think this is ominous. Um, I don't think that he is like, he doesn't repeat, you know, he doesn't continue the statement because he's seized with some kind of misgiving. Um, that it just, it doesn't sound like that. Um, I think that um, he is leaving things open. He just, he doesn't know. Um, and I think more than anything else, he's betraying that there was no plan, right? There was never any plan. Um, they're going to go down the river. Um, we will get to the point where Aragorn is going to say things like, I wish I knew what Gandalf planned, right? I think we know. I think Gandalf didn't have a plan, um, as I believe Aragorn comes to suspect at the same time as well. Um, but um, but yes, he's he knows that that is going to be the decision point. Um, it will be at that point that certainly the Fellowship will break, um, or rather the company will split up. Uh, Boromir is certainly going to be going home. Aragorn has pledged to go with him. Uh, Frodo, you know... Where is he going to go? How is he going to get there? I don't know. But Minas Tirith is not going to be his final destination in any case, right? Um, so things are going to be uncertain after they get so far as, uh, you know, the as probably Rauros, uh, perhaps, um, maybe further up. Who knows exactly? But anyway, after they get to the Great River, that's where things become uncertain and his his. Gandalf's pledge as we or not pledge his statement is we cannot look too far ahead. It's that lack of and it's that sentence more than anything that convinces me that Gandalf is not foreboding here, um, but rather stating the lack of um, the lack of certainty of knowledge. It's very like what Elrond says about how you know he cannot foresee much of their road. Right? Neither can Gandalf, and he is wise enough not to try to force it. This is part of the plan all along. Clearly, right from Elrond and Gandalf, as we saw in the council, um, they're not going to solve this by careful planning, right? And uh, uh, and uh, you know, minute uh, strategy. Um, they are not going to look too far ahead. They're going to see what happens and um, let things unfold, um, in a sense. But um, uh, okay, um, now. Let's move on from that. That's mostly as far as we got. So he says, I think we will rest here, not only today, but tonight as well. There is a wholesome air about Hullen. Much evil must befall a country before it wholly forgets the elves, if once they dwelt there. That is true, said Legolas. But the el- well, hang on a second. Before we read Legolas's comment, I want to I read Gandalf's comment on its own here, right? Because um, look at the context here. Interesting. Wobb says, I feel like this lack of planning must be frustrating for Boromir. Uh, you know, in some ways, Wobb, I think it certainly must be, right? Not that I think necessarily that Boromir is himself like utterly wedded uh, to meticulous planning, right? He doesn't, he doesn't really 
Um, nothing about his character really screams that to me. Um, but certainly, uh, I don't think it exactly jives with his normal leadership style, <laughs> right? Um, uh, that, I think, is, um, uh, you know, he's used to giving orders. I, he may well be ready to, re you know, be perfectly willing to receive orders, um, but going forth with no orders, I think, is definitely... Um, uh, is definitely a little bit unusual for him. Um, <laughs> Vardendo wants to know if Eregion smells like elves very faintly. Vardendo, you can you can still faintly uh, catch the smell of elves uh, uh, still clinging to some things, but but it's mostly gone. I think. Um, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Um, okay. Um, yeah, yeah, Bjorning in exile, that's exactly right. Um, it is rather stunning that the wisdom and with all the wisdom and strength gathered around Rivendell and in the company, they're willing to just trust completely to Providence. Yeah, yeah, no, that's, um, I believe the whole point of the, like, you know, we, we're not going to rely on wisdom, right? We're not going to rely on strength. Um, they have much of both, right? And uh, they don't trust in those. Um, <laughs> yeah, Karina, I think you're right. Gandalf, his plan is basically we'll we'll cross that bridge when we come to it, right? Yeah, yeah. He uh, or or as you say, mostly cross that bridge, um, cross part of the way over that bridge. Indeed. Um, yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, you're, Gandalf doesn't exactly Rivendell the bridge, Druid's fire, but, um, but yeah, it's not going to go universally well. Okay. Okay. Anyway, back to the beginning. Well, not, not the beginning, the, back to the middle, back to the middle of Gandalf's uh, statements here. Let us be glad that the first stage is safely over. We cannot look too far ahead. Let us be glad that the first stage is safely over. Um, Really interesting that they say that considering how little of the journey this is, right? Um, I think that Gandalf is still, as we saw before, you know, I think Gandalf is still in um, a kind of pick-me-up mode, right? I mean, he's still kind of cheering people up. He's definitely trying to enhearten people uh, by his statements here, um, just as I, you know, we were observing before in his description um, of or like the veil of the dwarves and stuff as we, you know, when we were talking about that, um, it is, you know, the first stage, he doesn't say the first of how many, right. Uh, I mean, it's like, you know, there's the first stage of 25, you know, I don't know. Um, but, um, um, but sure it is a stage. I think we will rest here not only today, but tonight as well. And again, I think, um, um, and you're right. You're right. Bjorning. We shouldn't under estimate it. 14 days, 120 miles in rough terrain. Um, so far, as you say, not waylaid or, or as far as we can tell, even spotted by the enemy. Um, yeah, it's not like they haven't achieved anything at all. Um, what's interesting about it, of course, is how little of the, I mean, it's, it was like, what, four paragraphs, right? I mean, it's a, it's a very small portion of the narrative compared to what they are going to be experiencing. It's the tiniest fragment not 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 necessarily of distance or time again 120 miles it's significant um but um 
Uh, but of course, this is nothing compared to what they're going to experience. But clearly, he fails, feels that they need some heartening. He encourages, encourages them that the first stage is safely over. We've made progress. Notice how that corresponds to um, it's speaking directly to that sense that the narrator was describing, right? That sense that they were just like creeping like snails and not getting anywhere, right? We see Gandalf actively and verbally combating that sense with the, the first stage is safely over, right? And then the announced, the announced rest, right? We will rest here not only for today, but tonight as well. Special treat, right? We're going to have a whole day of rest, no slogging, right? We can just, we can just recover. Um, and then he adds the the description of Holland. There's a wholesome air about Holland. See that doesn't quite smell like elves, but it's still faint. Much evil must befall a country before it wholly forgets the elves. If once they dwelt there. Now, here's how I understand that statement. Much evil must befall a country before it wholly forgets the elves. If once they dwelt there, um, I believe that what he means, but I think when he talks about the country forgetting the elves, he's speaking metaphorically, right? What he really means is, again, this is my interpretation, that what he actually means is the elves had an effect on this country, right? Um, it's not, uh, in a sense, what the country did, it's what the elves did, right? The elves lived here for a long time, and in living here, they you know, blessed the land, right? They had an impact on this land and the impact that the ancient elves of Holland had upon this region has not wholly faded, right? That's how I interpret, um, that's how I interpret his statement. Um, but again, he couches that in this metaphorical sense, much must befall a country before it wholly forgets the elves, right? So the country still remembers them, right? I, just as you might say, you know, you might look at like an old battlefield and say like, you know, um, especially if it's, uh, if it were to, you know, still have, um, you know, like, you know, broken rocks or whatever, you know, like to say like, ah, oh, this was this battle, this, this, this is a, you know, a, this, uh, uh, this field still remembers battles of old, right? You wouldn't be speaking literally, right? You'd say there's still evidence that's been left here, right? Of that thing that happened. Um, but, um, so that's how I understand Gandalf's statement. The fascinating thing is what Legolas says next, right? That is true, said Legolas. But if the elves of this land, sorry, but the elves of this land were of a race strange to us of the sylvan folk, and the trees and the grass do not now remember them. Only I hear the stones lament them. Deep they delved us, fair they wrought us, high they builded us, but they are gone. They are gone. They sought the havens long ago. Gandalf, I believe, was speaking metaphorically, right? Um, now, hang on, hang on. Uh, let me address that quick before I go on. Zirundarel, Zirundarel, however you pronounce your name. Um, uh, I thought Thranduil was Cinderin, not El not Sylvan. Yeah, lowercase s, lowercase s. Sylvan with a lowercase s, right? Sylvan, us of the Sylvan folk, lowercase s, just means woodland folk. Lowercase s, Sylvan, is an adjective that just means of the forest, right? Um, 
so like you might say that like it was a sylvan countryside, meaning it's covered in trees. Right. Um, so I believe that Legolas is using the word sylvan in that. So when he says strange, strange to us of the sylvan folk, he just means us wood elves, us elves who live in the woods. Right. Um, so great, great, great question. Um, uh, but um, but yes, I do believe that that is um, uh, that is what he means by that. But anyway, as I say, Legolas responds to Gandalf's metaphorical observation. Must evil, much evil must befall a country before it wholly forgets the elves. Um, meaning, as I say, I believe the elves did much here, and the like the 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 power of the elves lingers here in some sense. Um, Legolas affirms Gandalf's metaphorical statement, but he affirms it in a completely literal fashion. That is true, but the elves of this land were of a race strange to us of the sylvan folk, and the trees and the grass do not now remember them. Um, what? The trees and the grass do not now remember them. So he's clarifying, right? Yeah, it's true. The country has not wholly forgotten the elves. Uh, the trees and the grass have forgotten the elves, <laughs> right? That's, yeah, even the holly trees. Yeah, exactly. Um, there's, um, they've forgotten. They've forgotten. So now, just like, before we focus on what that tells us about the elves of Eregion, let us instead think about what this is telling us about Legolas, <laughs> right? Um Legolas is here claiming that he can speak to the trees. Let's be perfectly clear about that, <laughs> right? Um, he states with confidence uh, that the trees and the grass don't remember the elves. Um, the, the stones do, as he's going to point out, right? The stones do. Um, but um, but the trees and the grass, uh, yeah, not so much. Not so much. Um and uh, yeah, yeah, that's this is one of the passages where we see a glimpse of something of which there are many more glimpses in the earlier drafts of Tolkien's writing. So in uh, in the earlier drafts, and someday I'm going to write a book about this because it'll be a lot of fun um, going through and looking at some of the patterns in how uh, Tolkien's how, how the story changes from Tolkien's earlier drafts to the published material. In the Lord of the Rings, looking at the history of the Lord of the Rings uh, series in the history of Middle-earth. Totally going to totally write that book someday. Um, but um, Rowan says, with all that spare time I have. Yeah, I know. I, later. I'm not only now. It'll be you know, later. Later. Um, remember the plan, right? I'm writing Exploring the Lord of the Rings Volume 1 right now, right? And then I'm going to do... Um, and then there'll be a gap because we're still not done with with book two yet. And it'll be a couple years before we're done with book two. So I'll have a little hiatus and I can do other things, right? And then I'll write volume two. And then I'll have to wait another like four or five years, right? Before we finish discussing book three. It's so, yeah, there'll be time. There'll be time. Plenty of time. Um, <laughs> JJ says, I don't show any sign of writing a book on the spot. Well, that's what you think. That's precisely what we're doing here. Um, but uh, anyway, anyway. Okay, okay. Um, how many books am I going to write? Brick Tales? A ton. A ton. I'm so... Um, ex I've I got to tell you, working on Exploring the Lord of the Rings Volume 1 again has been so much fun. I've been like, man, I 
it's been way too long since I've done any writing and I'm, I'm not going to stop now. Um, so yes, praise Lord willing and the correct don't rise. That's just what we're going to do. Anyhow, back to Legolas. Legolas is, um, uh, Legolas is going to, he can talk to the trees and grass. So anyway, as I was saying, drafts, that's where I was found my train of thought again. I have discovered, I've rediscovered my clue. So, um, in the first draft of this passage, Legolas speaks plainly of the spirits of this land that they're in. Um, and what he says about the stones is he says that the spirits of the stones won't talk to him because he's of the Sylvan folk. Um, that is, he's got a good rapport with woodland spirits, right? Um, but like the stony spirits of Eregion are not into him, right? And he can't get them to talk at all. That's what he says in the first draft. Now, Tolkien toned that down significantly um, in the later drafts. But as is always, Christopher makes this comment several times in his commentary, and it is clearly correct um, that just because Tolkien takes something out of his, of a draft or a story doesn't mean he's disowned it, right? Doesn't mean he changed his mind about it necessarily. Um, uh, when I was talking, when I was going through the history of the Lord of the Rings in the Mythgard Academy classes, uh, several, you, several of you will remember, um, I used to joke about the, uh, the drawer, uh, that Tolkien had a drawer. Uh, this is a metaphor. I, this is, it's just a joke. I don't know this, right? Uh, but I used to joke that Tolkien had a drawer in which he'd put everything that he cut out uh, from his books, like when he cuts something out, it goes in the drawer because he sometimes opens the drawer and pulls things out again later on. And as we saw just recently when we were discussing the nature of Middle Earth uh, in the Mythgard Academy just a few months ago, um, we were seeing that like the idea of elvish reincarnation, which he cut out, you know, which he seemed to decide against way back, way back, like in the 20s, um, only just went into the drawer and he was pulling it out again in like the sixties. So like all kinds of things like this happen. Um, but, um, uh, anyway, uh, yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, it's sort of like the Tolkien textual junk drawer. Um, uh, yeah, Ray, it's a little bit like that. Um, but, um, uh, yeah, you're Toramarth and that's exactly it. He has a spiritual, textual junk drawer. That's precisely what it is. So um, anyhow, this is one of those examples. He tended to streamline things. Um, uh, some authors, when they're revising, beef up. Some cut down. Tolkien very much was cutting down. He tended to say more. Um, his tendency in his first drafts was to say more and kind of over-explain things. And then he almost always, when he was going back and revising, he almost always slimmed that um, and tended to cut out a lot of that. But again, it makes it hard to figure out, right? Did he cut it out because he changed his mind about it? Or was he just making this passage more efficient uh, and, uh, you know, more sort of powerful or evocative or something like that? I, for one, do not believe that he ever totally ditched the idea that the natural world around them, the, you know, the world of Middle-earth is full of minor spiritual beings that those who know uh, can sense, communicate with. Um, uh, Goldberry, 
uh, is clearly an example of the same sort, right? Um, and um, Karathras himself, too, Juice Man, absolutely. I mean, uh, Karathras is a crotchety fellow, um, and it's not just the mountain, right? Um, so, uh, so yeah. Um, would the rocks have talked to Gorfindel, Almeria? Of course they would have talked to Gorfindel. First of all, who wouldn't talk to Gorfindel? Uh, but uh, secondly, possibly, you know, yeah, I don't know what kind of conversation Gorfindel might have had with the rocks uh, had he uh, had he been here. Um, but um, yeah, Vardendil wants to know if Gimli can hear the rocks out here or only in Moria. Um, well, that's interesting. Uh, he. Gimli doesn't talk about rocks that way, actually. It'll be an interesting thing to watch. Gimli talks about stone, but he doesn't talk about it like this. Um, exactly. But, um, anyway. Um, yeah, exactly, praise. Elves are tied to Arda in a special way, I agree. Um, do I think these types of spirits... Um, okay, wait. So Dan is asking, do I also think of these types of spirits as gen uh, uh, genius loci as uh, Tom Shippey likes to? Yeah, more or less. More or less. Um, uh, I mean, Tom Bombadil is more or less explicitly, right? Um, that it, you know, like bound to that chunk of land and such. Um, but... Um, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I, basically, yeah. I mean, it's so hard because Dan. The problem is we don't have that much data. You know, I mean, like we just don't have enough evidence to really put together to show a plain pattern, right? Um, but um, anyway, now Jackie, you are right to remind us that uh, Legolas is a strange elf, right? Uh, so who knows? Maybe he's just weird this way. Maybe all elves can't do this. Um, but apparently he can. No, 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 no. I wouldn't, um, Nancy, uh, I wouldn't call this spiritual serfdom at all. Um, what I would call this, remember that um, in the Valaquenta? No, it's in the Anulindale too. Um, both of them, I think. But uh, certainly in the Anulindale, when the Valar and the other of the Ainur who are coming in, to, you know, with the Valar and their, uh, you know, uh, friends and relations, uh, descend into Arda, right? Um, they become bound to Arda, bound by their love, right? Not, not, there's, you know, nothing enforced about it, right? They're not in servitude, but they are bound by their love um, uh, to Arda. And I think that what we are seeing is exactly the same thing, but on a different scale, right? Uh, the grass spirits, which apparently um, the spirits of the trees and grasses um, who don't remember the elves um, are presumably bound to where they are for the same reason, out of love, right? Out of love for the land um, that they, uh, that, but unlike Yavanna, who's huge, right, who's enormous and who gives thought to all growing creatures, uh, you know, all plants and animals everywhere uh, in Arda, um, you know, a wee little Yavana spirit, right, one of one of Yavana's wee little followers uh, might bound itself in love to a glade, right, or perhaps a whole forest or something, 
right? Um, uh, because they love it, right? Because they love Arda and they love Arda within their scope, right? So it seems to me very much of a piece with what we see um, from the Valar themselves, right? So, um, uh, so yeah, so they're they're tied to it, but I don't think by any external force, by no other force um, than their own love. Um, yeah, yeah. Okay, so um, it's a fascinating little glimpse. And if I could make a, a little, tiny little sideways plug, one of my favorite elements of the Lord of the Rings Online storylines in that game, um, they do a lot with this kind of thing, and I'm really interested in it, right? Um, I'm thinking, for for instance, a, a story that most Lotro players are familiar with because it's a, it's in a relatively low level area, uh, the story of the Red Maid uh, in the Lone Lands. That is, there's this Goldberry-esque spirit who is tied to this land, to this largish patch of land, but that land uh, became corrupted by bloodshed in a very like Dead Marshes, um, uh, you know no man's land in world war one ask kind of way there was there was betrayal there was murder there was violence and the blood seeped into the waters and cried out from the ground and as a result the spirit who had bound herself in love to that area becomes herself twisted and corrupted and needs to be cleansed needs to be uh you know the the whole place needs to be cleansed i think that's a really really interesting storyline. And it always struck me. Um, we don't see a story like that happening in Tolkien. There's no, there's no direct justification uh, for that kind of a story in Tolkien. But it always struck me as a very, very um, powerful and very sensible extrapolation from this kind of thing that we see, this, this, this binding in love to places uh, in, uh, in, in Middle-earth by spiritual beings. Um, Exactly, praise the spirit of that. Uh, of that uh, seems uh, feels right. I exactly, exactly right. Um, anyway, okay. Um, uh, yeah, it does have a bit of an old man Willow vibe to it, Mike. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, yeah, and even in a sense, like the effect that old man Willow has on the other trees, right? Um, but. Um, yeah, yeah. And yes, Matt, you're right. I agree that there's um, a, a, a hint of this kind, um, of, of this kind of quest in Sam's healing of the Shire. Yeah, I agree. What was, what, there's, it's not just a kind of, um, you know, aesthetic uh, assault that Saruman is attempting to perpetrate, right? Um, yeah, he's going... Uh, the fastest way to make this Shire into a desert, right? But it's not just to incommode the inhabitants, right? And make them miserable and make them suffer. And it's not just to make what was beautiful now ugly. It is for that reason too, but, it, but there's more to it, I think, than all of that. I think, Matt, that you're exactly right, that there is something um, at risk here. And Sam, in his forestry work, in the scouring of the Shire, is going to be actively working to heal that, right? The Shire is going to be healed, not only in the sense that trees are going to grow back and grow back quickly, right? But the entire um, 
there's there's I, I do think some spiritual healing that's going to happen in the Shire. Um, and in the end, the Shire will be specially blessed uh, because of Galadriel's power, but because of the work of Sam uh, as well. Um, yeah, exactly, Mike. Thinking of the, the spiritual ecosystem of an area is, I think, a, a good way to think about it. I really do. Um, that's pretty much what Legolas is talking about here in Holland. Right? He's given us a little glimpse of the spiritual ecosystem, uh, which makes me wonder, Mike, what is it like being Legolas? Right? What is it like? I mean, just being an elf like Legolas walking around. This, I mean, this must be part of his daily experience, right? Um, this awareness of the spirits of the land around them, right? I mean, I don't get a sense that he, he's not like putting himself out here, right? Like, uh, you know, much evil must befall a country before it wholly forgets the elves and Legolas is like, I'll check, right? Hang on, I will like enter some, you know, trance or something and see if I can exert myself to commune with it. No, he just, just rattles it off, right? Like it's obvious, right? Um, yeah, the trees and grass don't remember them naturally. Um, yeah, it really makes me think, I suspect that the story really told from an Elvish perspective would be very different, very, very different. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, JJ, I think you're exactly right. Um, since this sort of awesomeness would have been hard to capture on screen, uh, Peter Jackson did the seal, shield surfing instead um, as some way to physicalize the awesomeness of Legolas, which would otherwise have been left too immaterial. I think that was precisely, I think that was precisely it. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, Yes. Now, Josh, thank you. Look, look at Josh is so good. He's uh, um, he's bringing us back uh, to our actual discussion, which is fantastic. Um, yes. Uh, Josh says the trees and the grass do not now remember them. Well pointed out. The now, I think, is very important. Right. Um, he's not saying the trees and grass here are oblivious. Right. The trees and grass here are apathetic. Right. They're like, we don't care about elves. Right. Um, they, they, they do not now remember them. Which I believe means that he is trusting, assuring them that they would have remembered them, right, um, in the past. Um, I think he's correcting, gently correcting. He's a, he affirms Gandalf, right? It's true that much evil must befall a country before it wholly forgets the elves. By the way, notice that, right? If much evil does befall a country, it might wholly forget the elves, right? Just like that Red Maid quest in Lotra, I was, I was I was mentioning. That's why I think that that uh, again, I think they I think they really they really had their finger on it there. Um, but anyhow, yeah, yeah. So Legolas says, "Yep, that's right, that's right." But then he goes on to clarify, and I think correct um, Gandalf's sort of I don't want to flip it statement, but his sort of off the cuff metaphor there, right? He was just a it's a, 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 a way of speaking, and then Legolas gets all specific. Um, the trees and the grass do not now remember them. They would have done, but they don't anymore. They've forgotten. They're, they're living creatures. And although long lived, it's been a long time by this. It's been thousands of years, right? Um, 
So many a tree has grown, uh, you know, from acorn to ruinous age. Well, I know holly trees don't have acorns. What do they have? Berries? Like from berry to ruinous age, I guess. Um, uh, before, you know, and so they've, yes, they've all forget all of these. These are the, you know, modern, you know, young, new generation trees, right? And forget about the grass, right? I don't know. I would assume grass has a really short memory, but maybe I'm wrong. How do I know? I'm not an elf, right? Um, who knows? Maybe the grass has some kind of, you know, more collective awareness. I don't know. Um, but um, the trees and the grass do not now remember them. Um, and I agree, as several of you were pointing out, um, as several of you were pointing out, um, the... Um, uh, There's an irony to the trees forgetting them, right? I mean, it's it's called Holland because of the holly trees. And the holly trees are were planted, presumably, by the elves of Holland, right? Um, clearly, the elves of Holland had a sufficient relationship with the holly trees uh, that they were identified together. And there's an irony, which I think is unsurprisingly, um, a sad and kind of tragic irony. The legends still recall the connection between the holly trees and the elves in this area, right? Um, the name is still there, right? Um, so we expect a connection, and yet the trees themselves have forgotten it. The elves of Eregion are almost completely forgotten. Even the tree, even the holly trees themselves, have forgotten them. Um, that that link, the 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 living connection back to the elves of Eregion is gone. It's faded. Um, and I think that's meant to be sad. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, no, JJ, it is not the fault of the holly trees that the friendship waned. Uh, it's certainly, certainly true. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, but the stones remember, right? Here in the revised version of this paragraph, Legolas tells us, I hear the stones lament them. Deep they delved us, fair they wrought us, high they builded us but they are gone. They are gone. The stones remember. And notice what the stones remember. The stones remember being delved. They remember being wrought. They remember being builded with. Right? Um, and that's really interesting. What The reason I find that so interesting is that presumably not the rocks in question, right? Not the local neighborhood rocks. It doesn't say they're in a ruin here. Um, maybe they're in a ruin, but that's not described. Um, we've seen no such description, right? Um, but yes, Eternal Cow, you're right. They remember sub-creative acts. Absolutely. But but here's the other thing. is There seems to be either a sort of corporate memory on the part of the stones, um, or... Um, like the stones themselves tell rumors of this, right? These stones aren't remembering, presumably, 
aren't remembering things that happened to themselves. This is not like in the living memory of these particular stones, right? But stones, other stones, probably many miles away from here, right? Um, but still, the stones of this land were delved, were wrought, were builded. And these stones, although personally uninvolved in any of those processes, presumably, as far as we know, um, still remember, right? They, uh, they still remember all of that delving and uh, the writing and building. Um, and that's fairly striking, I think, right? Um, I think that seems to me to teach us more about the nature of rocks uh, than um, I quite expected to learn um, from this uh, uh, from this from this passage. Um, and yet we are quite sure that they aren't dwarves, Nancy. And the reason we are is that um, we go back to the second thing that Legolas says there. Right, the first thing is to affirm Gandalf's comparatively flippant statement but the second thing is but the elves of this land were of a race strange to us of the sylvan folk how does he know well doubtless he's heard stories um you know doubtless he knows stories about the elves of Eregion. um but i think he's drawing that conclusion from what he hears the stones lament um i don't know what kind of relationships the wood elves have with the stones around their stones in Mirkwood, right? There might be under the trees, but we know, I mean, not only that, remember Thranduil lives underground, right? Legolas lives uh, in the stone there. Um, so presumably he uh, uh, chats with some rocks back home as well. Um, and yet here, what these stones tell him it, what these stones tell him about their memories of their relationship with the elves of Eregion prompts him to say, the elves of this land were of a race strange to us, of the Sylvan folk, right? Um, they didn't connect with stones in exactly the same way, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so... Um, let me um uh yeah Gildalowin, yes i agree uh i was going back to what um uh juan was saying you can write this as the rocks being harmed but they seem uh to feel herded like what the elves did ents did with the trees yes yes i agree i agree um and um uh Gildalowin was adding that the stones like to be delved and wrought yeah no i that clearly this uh, was apparently a um um a positive experience um yeah yeah the positive experience i think of the uh, of the, the, the these are fond memories um the stones seem to uh still feel proud that's why it's almost like um it's almost like a legend among the stones right that's what i mean about the the remoteness right again the he, as far as i can tell he's not talking to a ruin right it's just just the rock um you know of the mountainside that they're walking across but it remembers it right 
it's like the rocks of Eregion still like tell each other legends of the days when the Noldor of Eregion used to delve within them, um, uh, you know, build them high, you know, had wrought them fair, um, uh, all of these things. This is what, these are the myths of stones, right? Um, that, the, that, the very, that the very rocks of Middle-earth have a mythic memory of the past is like so next level, isn't it? I mean, come on. <laughs> that is hardcore right there. That is a hardcore. Um, um, but um, yeah, yeah. Um, and what they remember is being a part of the subcreative efforts of the elves, right? Um, there's a sense of cooperation, but notice they they they're passive, right? They don't. It's not. It's not exactly collaboration, right? Um, but they, the rocks, were glorified by the works of the Noldor, right? They did things that rocks have never done, right? Um, they reached a an apex of rockiness that um, few other rocks have achieved. Um, and yet now they only apparently fondly remember that. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yes, Connor, you're right. The elves gave the stones a purpose um, of aesthetic beauty also. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, they are gone, however. They sought the havens long ago. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, I saw that note. Um, I saw that note from, who was it? Who said it? Um, uh, Josh, was that you? Anyway. Yes, there was you, Josh. Um, that the second they are gone is not italicized in your copy. Um, I could check my copy. Uh, maybe I will check my copy. Did I get that wrong? I might have. Let me see. Uh, hang on. Yes, I did. Look at that. You're correct. Yeah. I'm going to fix that. You were right. Well spotted. Glad you pointed that out. Let's see. Shoop. You were right. That was me deploying my italics improperly. There we go. Fixed. Very good. And that makes a difference, right? Um, because what that means is Legolas is echoing the stones, right? First he quotes them, but they are gone. And then he repeats and says, they are gone. They sought the havens long ago, right? So Legolas is affirming, yeah, the, rock, the rocks are right. Right, he's telling the rest of the because the, the stones don't know, the stones don't know where the Noldor went, or why the Noldor left. Right now, um, Legos is of course being circumspect here. Yes, many of the Noldor of Eregion sought the havens long ago. Those that survived the bloody pogrom of Sauron in his invasion of Eriador. Um, uh, but the rest of them saw the havens long ago. True enough. True enough. Um, 
Yeah, yeah. Um, but um, yeah, yeah. Anyway, so um, but the rocks don't know. The rocks don't know what happened. The trees and grass have forgotten. The rocks retained these memories of glory. The glory that they, the rocks, achieved. Or rather, they're like, I don't know, cousins. Are rocks united? Do rocks have a collective memory? Right? I don't know. Um, I mean, are rocks like bees or something? Um, not sure. Um, it seems likely. It seems possible, at least, right? That sense of which, like, uh, you know, what looks to those of us walking around usually on top of the dirt, like isolated rocks are really sort of part of one whole body underneath. Um, first of all, I just like the, um, the fact that this passage is making me ask questions like, how exactly does the consciousness of rocks work, right? Um, but that's exactly the kind of thing that we, that we see here. <laughs> Creator, you're so right. I'm sure the rocks would say that the bees are like them, not they like the bees. You're, you're almost certainly correct about that. Um, but, um, uh, yeah, anyway, this is what I love about this passage. Uh, this is why this is one of my favorite parts from this whole chapter, because I feel like we get this little glimpse in this passage into Tolkien's concept of the natural world. Um, in a way that we get almost nowhere else in the, you know, certainly in the Lord of the Rings. We get some other, there are some other moments where we'll get other kinds of glimpses, right? Um, but very little quite like this, right? Um, the sadness, not only of Legolas's recollection that they sought the havens long ago, right? That sense of loss, that sense of parting, which is so much a part of the Elvish experience in the Third Age, certainly. Um, but of course, notice how that becomes tinged with this far deeper and in a sense more enduring sadness of the stones themselves, right? There has been loss here. The stones have lost the Noldor. They've lost them and they cannot find them again. The stones of Eregion have come to a parting beyond the ends of the world, right? They shall never be reunited with the Noldor of Eregion ever again. Not in Arda, anyway, right? And this glimpse of this, that, um, this glimpse of this, that the, that Legolas is strange little speech, strange little speech of the strange elf, right, uh, gives us is um, a very remarkable little picture. And in my mind, just really underscores, um, really underscores the, the depth of this passage, um, grants a real dimension. A lot of people point to Treebeard, very rightly, of course. Um, as really kind of lending this extra dimension to, you know, Tolkien's idea of nature and living things. Um, and um, certainly, certainly it does, right? Certainly that's a, a very significant thing. But um, for my money, this passage, though very brief and uh, very tantalizing in a lot of ways, I think is uh, uh, extremely beautiful, extremely beautiful and absolutely fascinating. Um, and I 
want to keep thinking about this when we get to Gimli talking about stones, um, because I think that dwarves do have a, a systematically different relationship with stones. Um, I don't think it's lesser. I think it's just different, but uh, but we'll see. We'll see uh, in an, a little bit. I am but a plain and simple tailor, Rowan. Nice, nice. DS9 reference, loving it. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, cool. Um, all right. Interesting. Bjarna Soner says, the Japanese national anthem actually talks about rocks growing until the pebbles grow into boulders and grow moss. Uh, fascinating. Fascinating. So the moss is the final step of growth. Um, uh, the final step of growth for the uh, for the rocks. That's very interesting. Um, interesting just in what it suggests about the conceived relationship of uh, of rock and 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 greenery. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Anyway, okay. Um, man, Villori, does this passage leave more questions than it gives answers? It totally does. Um, right. Tora Marthen suggests grown-up rocks have proper beards, hence the moss. Uh, perhaps, perhaps. Um, but I agree, Two Juice Man, you're right. Tree beard's a little different. He's corporeal. You can talk to him like a man speaks to another, more or less. The rocks and trees and grass are alive, sort of, but not in a way most people can perceive. They have a secret life all their own beyond the plane of other critters. Yeah, or at least beyond their perceptions, right? Um, you know what I'm reminded of, Two Juice Man? I'm reminded of... Um, uh, I'm reminded of the discussions we were having about the hobbits and the trees with the old forest way back. Um, there's, there's a really, there's a, there's a kind of obliviousness there, right? Um, the hobbits don't have this same connection or if they had it, they've lost it, right? Um, they are living in a state of sort of oblivion to this sort of thing, um, which is more like that of modern people, I think, though certainly not identical. I know that lots of people like to talk about the close friendship of the earth with the hobbits, um, but I'm not confident that that's what that line in the prologue actually means. Um, it's talking about them being able to move silently. Uh, it's in that context. Um, uh, I don't think that that passage is quite as uh, grandiose as some people uh, want to read that. But um, but anyway, yeah, I was um, I was thinking who was that? Oh yes, um, Amarea is being reminded of the passage uh, in the Gospel um, how uh, the uh, if uh, when people are crying out and the Pharisees tell Jesus to stop them crying out in praise and he says that uh, if I did even the very stones would cry out yeah that's interesting um, this sort of that sort of sense of awareness um, yeah yeah um, anyway okay um, let us uh, I'm peeking ahead I'm peeking yeah, and then we get into narrative after this I mean we've been in narrative but like 
the next starts a new episode. So let's stop there and let's start that when we get to a new episode. How about that? Um, besides which, I think, you know, the uh, melancholy thoughts of uh, the um, perpetual separation of the Stones of Eregion with the Noldor is uh, a f- fitting place for us to stop. Um, uh, so let's... Um, Let's end there and move to our field trip. Um, as I said, not going to be able to do class next week, um, and I'll be gone the week after that. Um, so I look forward to uh, our next discussion. We'll look at Aragorn's uneasiness um, as the uh, as things start to get a little tense uh, next time, which, as I say, will be... Which date is the Tuesday again? Is that the 16th? 17th? Anyway, somewhere around there. Yes, we're having Alice tomorrow. Um, so we're doing, uh, we're doing our, next, uh, our next session of Alice in Wonderland tomorrow night, definitely. And we're also going to do Other Minds and Hands tomorrow. So, uh, so there we go. Um, 16th? Okay, 16th. That sounds right. Um, that's what that will be. So uh, join me for that. I've got the rest of my broadcast this week except for Grifflet. So we're doing Other Minds and Hands and uh, Session 7 of Alice in Wonderland. And then we're going to do some film on uh, Thursday night. Um, and then I'll be off for a little while. All right. Um, it's field trip time for those of you who can join us. Good night to those of you who can only do our... Um, who can only do our text discussion this evening. Good evening, Valori. How are you? I'm doing fine, but I'm thinking way too much about Talking Rock. Well, yeah. Yeah, likewise. Like, I, I think they are a hive mind. Like, that would make sense that they, you could separate one from the body and they would remember how they were shaped. I would think so, right? I, I mean, I honestly think that Tolkien is sort of implying that. I really do. Um, yeah. Because it is of weird the, to think that yeah. they think of being wrought by elves as like getting a makeover, though. Well, like, you know, I don't, I don't know. I don't think it's makeover. I think it's... Um, I don't know what it is. I think it's, it's more like... Um, I don't know. Um, fulfilling their destiny? Yeah, more like that. More, yes. the give, like the granting of purpose. Um, like, yeah, like a call to adventure or something, rather than right. like I'm going to the Nolder to get my facets did. Yeah, I mean, uh, to make a, a, a like a, a calling, basically, right? You know, that the, um, but it's not just a random calling. Like I've chosen you to do this random and strange thing, right? But I'm going to give you the opportunity to fulfill your day. I mean, what are stones for? Right. Oh wow! So um, like the celebrities would be like the Elven Ring gems or something like that. <laughs> right, right, right. Like, I suppose they really I made suppose. it. Yeah, so maybe yeah. pillars like looking at the gemstone. Well, yeah. Okay, yeah. Uh, this is getting into a weird area here. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but uh, no, I mean it's it's um yeah I suppose yeah. Vardendale says it's like a, a literal makeover. You know, the creator makes them, the sub creators make them into something else. Yeah. Yes, yeah. that's what I'm talking about. Exactly. Yeah, there's, I mean, I come back to, like, the first, 
sort of image that I was using, which I kind of disavowed, but I still kind of like, is collaboration, right? I disavowed it because the text doesn't speak, the uh, the stones in the text don't speak as if they were actively doing something, right? They're, they're, the, they're the, the, the objects of the actions, right? Well, um, yeah. and, and yet, yeah. there's a kind of partnership there, right? I mean, on the one hand, it's the Noldor doing all the building, but on the other hand, you can't do the building without the rocks. So, you know, like they... they sure. They have a part, you know, they they so, become between the two yeah. of them that, they, you know, something wonderful is made. And yeah. Yeah. If they communicate, the rocks can tell the elves like, hey, I, I got a fault on this side. I'm not going to make a good pillar. Right. Uh, why don't you make me a plinth instead? Right. Exactly. Exactly. Hey, so we're going to meet in no bottle again. That's no bottle. Okay. That's all right. All right. That's where we're going back. All right. Yep. Um. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, so I, that's um. But How yeah, I, noisy I, it must be to be an elf and just have everything talk to you all the time. <laughs> yeah, um, well, it, that's one of the things that it makes me wonder. Honestly, this passage, you know, what kind of a world does Legolas inhabit? I saw you guys uh, in the in the chat talking about like um, like bees seeing ultraviolet and stuff. You know, like if, if there's something almost like that, like he's perceiving a whole different wavelength of light or something, you know, it's at least the, the difference is that great is what I mean by that. Right. Um, yeah, it's gotta be like a, being a kindergarten teacher and just being surrounded by talking all the time. Yeah. Like yeah. you wonder if he's going to have trouble sleeping when we get into like, you know, some non-wooded areas. Right. But remember he doesn't sleep. He like oh, walks right, in right. elvish dreams, right. Which by itself is also like would seem to fit with this in some sense. Right. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But um, anyway, okay. Let's. Uh, we're gonna. We're. 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 We're gonna go back to Longcleave, I think. Yes, I think so. We're gonna, we're gonna start go back to Cleave and we're ruin. Yeah, yeah it's ruin time. Yeah. So we're gonna. Okay. We're, we're gonna swift travel up to Longcleave. Then we're gonna then, ruin it. And we're gonna ruin it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Bricktail says it would be like Daredevil. Yeah, that's that's a more interesting parallel. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I like that one. Yeah, yeah. Wow, you just you just kited on out of there. I don't know where you went. Me? Long Yeah, cliff. yeah. Long cliff. Long cliff. Okay. Oh, up the road. Okay. Yeah. Sorry, you you blipped out of existence, and I couldn't figure out where you'd gone. Oh yeah, no, I just I just uh, quick traveled to Long Cleave here. Yeah. Oh, you, oh, we quick traveled from the stable. Okay, that would make stable mastered. Yeah, stable mastered. Right, yeah. right, right. Stable master. That's a thing. Sorry. No problem. Okay, we, okay, mm. let's go, I guess let's just go to the ruin that's up here, we might as well, since we're here. Um, so where do we, isn't the road diverge down here? Yes, it does, down here. Down here is where we want to cut through. Past... Wasn't wasn't this the place where Bill Fernie was lurking? No. Uh, yeah, oh. it further up? Yeah, was I think that, it was outside the outside the gates. Was outside the gates? Yeah. Yeah, like it was like a couple of couple of steps removed from outside the gates. Okay. Well, anyway, we don't want to see him again. But um, nope. Yeah. Yeah. Now Arden Crown says. Uh, um, Funny that the stone of stones of Moria don't, you know, 
warn Legos about the Balrog. See, I don't think they're interested in that kind of thing. That is to say, or like, you know, you could say like, well, like, why didn't the spirits of the grasses of Rohan, you know, help them along in their pursuit of the orcs or whatever. Um, but um, but I, I'm not sure that the... I think if we learn anything from staying with Tom Bombadil and Goldberry, um, it's that they think really quite differently from other people, right? Um, yeah, praise exactly. They're not on anybody's side. Um, yeah, no, they're not. And they're not... I mean, I think the way that Tom Bombadil seems to be uh, at times even almost like mostly... Um, uh, what... Um, oblivious, almost, to the... Um, unconcerned, maybe. <laughs> certainly unconcerned, but unconcerned almost to the point of obliviousness about the world around him, right? Like, you know, Gandalf's concerned that he's just gonna, he would just chalk away the ring because he doesn't care. Um, mm -hmm. I, I think that, I would assume that that kind of attitude is more or less shared by, uh, you know, most of the other spirits who I believe to probably be rather less aware of the big picture than Tom Bombadil than otherwise. Yeah, if the Balrog's been there this whole time, I don't think the rocks are going to think that's news. Right. Yeah, well, that's certainly true, too. Um, yeah, yeah. They're going to be like, um, oh, there's that thing that's always there. No, they're not. Like, probably more like, who are these strangers here? I wonder if they're going to be like the other strangers who started moving and then stopped very quickly. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah, they probably barely even noticed uh, uh, you know, Balin and company. Anyway, they probably so notice elves because elves are more eternal. But to the rest of us, we're just little little right. flies buzzing around. Right, right. Okay, so here we are up at Bar Faroth, and this is clearly a classic Arnorian structure. Oh, yeah. Um I say classic. There's that enormous star that I saw from down below. Um, yeah. I say classic because this is very Anuminous style, right? We've even got that the identical statue of Elendil that we many of us have carried around in our pockets at one time or another. Um, and, and the green panels. Yeah, the green panels uh, uh, and the d uh, domes and the like the four pointy bits on the top of towers. There they are over there. Oh um, yeah. Very anuminous, like which suggests this is a very old construction. Um, this is before, like a pre-Civil War um, Arnorian, an old Arnorian structure. Um, mm -hmm. It is defensible because this would have been on the frontier, right? Yep. Um, I'm trying to decide whether this is a window or just a break. I, I think it was a window. Point. Um, um that's, that looks like yeah, a break. No, it's a little I broken. Think, yeah. You're yeah. Right. I think the um, vantage point was in from up top, on top of the colonnade. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, so if we look where we are back up, back up at the map. Okay. The map is very not very helpful. Um on this level, but if we look at a numinous, we are here on the very, very southern verges. So these these mountains which were up here to the north of the Yondershire, um, are those mountains that are just above Anuminous. So we're quite close 
um, as the crow flies to Anuminus, but we are uh, a long ways away uh, on foot, of course. Um, but um, anyway, um, for old Anuminus, this would have been a quite southerly uh, extension. And the Shire and the Undershire, all of this area was unsettled at that time. Um, and so, you know, it would have been wild country. And clearly, this was made for the view. Lovely valley here, right? Also strong defensible point. Um, but um, do we, have we had any evidence that the Gondorians, or the Arnorians rather, the Anuminous Arnorians went much further south than this. We know uh, that they were down to the Barton road. Before, yeah, I think yeah. Oak Barton was like the last outpost before we started seeing Anuminous stuff. But I'm not sure. That was yeah, that not... was that whole time. I wasn't. I think you guys did that whole bit without me, so I don't remember what we saw in Anuminous. Right, right. We did get the trees and stars on the bridge. JJ was pointing uh -huh. out the bridge from the Shire. Right. Okay. So there yeah, would yeah, have yeah. so there would have been travel then if there's a bridge there would have been travel, mm -hmm. um, in which case they're going where do we think, possibly connecting out to the, to the Greenway, if the Greenway yeah. was was yet a thing I'm not sure it was because Fornos well, is the end of the Greenway not a Numinous. We've seen we've seen Arnorian stuff in Breland though. Right. Oh, JJ was talking about the bridge right here, but wasn't there an Arnorian? Oh bridge um down in the shire not, the old, not in the old i don't think the the brandywine bridge was but maybe it was right we uh, do have the columns and waymeet yeah rowan i remember that there are definitely arnorian ruins in the yeah. shire and certainly in breland but mm -hmm. i think that those are arthedanian i think that those are post-civil war ruins um clearly um, by the time we get to the civil war then we yeah. have Arthedine, which extends in this whole rand, and and the you know what is now the Shire and Bree was the frontier between Arthedine and Cardolan, um, mm -hmm. and Bree was beginning to extend towards the the boundary um, with Rudaur as well. So um, clearly, there were a bunch of extensions and very, largely military ones down into the Shire and Bree at that point. But as far as like this kind of a numinous construction. Um, old Arnor construction. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I don't really recall. But um, anyway, okay, so let's see. What else do we see? This also, so there's lots of these pillars are really interesting. This is very um, uh, so I'm hatching a theory. Mm -hmm. I'm hatching a theory yep. based on the size of this place, which is quite large, um, this doesn't look like some of the, um, like little uh, summer homes, like the ones in Enuminous around the lake and other parts, right? Um, this is much larger. And we got the statue of Elendil here, right? In the middle of it. Uh oh, I'm lagging. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, there we are. Okay, I'm back. All right. Um, <laughs> So we've got the statue of Elendil. This place is huge and sprawling. I'm thinking something about these colonnades too. I'm thinking that this was 
like a royal seat. Like, um, you know, the uh, uh, royal, like like a royal country home. You like, know? A, like, a, like a winter palace kind of thing. Well, like a hunting lodge. Like, um, um, what's it called? Balmoral in Scotland? Uh, oh, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. For the Windsors, right? You know, like the well, place that's, that that's they go. Pal- yeah, they yeah. go south when they go south when it's winter, and they go north when it's they go north when it's summer. Yeah, something like that. Exactly. So this is this is if this is a southernmost point, this would be a great this would be a great winter palace. Then it'd be not quite as cold as up north. Yeah, that's my that's 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 one guess I'm thinking of here. Yeah, it's it's very decorative, and like we have the reflection pool in front of the statue. If that was meant to be a reflection pool, but it's, right, right, it's beautiful. It's picturesque. We have this beautiful sort of picture bridge over here that goes right near the waterfall. This, I mean, this looks like, this looks like. Yeah, you know, I agree. A that, yeah, spot. the bridge that we just crossed is really a is you know really is like a, a beauty spot, and you can see it on several different tiers right i love how yeah yeah they have it set up so that you can like and this this though actually the bridge that we're crossing is the least scenic of the three right the bridge to the south of us there the one that's broken now would have been one one i just try to go across (gasps) right would have been the the best view right the most uninterrupted view but then you've got the, the higher one up here which would have um you would be able to see even further up there above that arch, presumably. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, a lot of beauty spots here. I don't understand why the star is upside down. It doesn't maybe make any sense to me. That huge like, one you, can't have fallen. Well, maybe it's like spun. Maybe it's on a, on an iron axis, and it flipped around. Yeah. Oh, hey JJ, we figured that one out. The four panels. We figured that's the that's the fall of Numenor story. That's the one that we figured out in Enuminous, and I was so excited. The day we figured that out, I spent like a whole field trip just looking at the pan at these panels, trying to figure them out. And I'm pretty sure that we did um, the f- top one. These are hard to see harder than that spot in Numinous where we were looking. But the first shows the, the Numenorians landing and they're all like generous and giving things away. Um, and then they're like building stuff. Boy, you can barely see the bottom one. They, they've got um, people in chains Um I think they've got weapons in the second one from the bottom. Um, yeah, yeah. Yes, yeah, so I guess the enslavement of the um, uh, the enslavement of the of the local peoples of Middle Earth was the punchline there. Though it's not very funny, it turns out. Um, it's more of a wah wah. Yeah, yeah. But again, interesting that the as we said at the time, way back then that the fall of Numenor is being commemorated in this way, like a, you know, cautionary tale. Lest we know. forget. Yeah. Carved everywhere. Um, you know, announcing their own like complicity, their own memory of what happened. Um, I think if uh, your race caused an entire island to sink under the ocean, you'd really want to make sure you don't do it again. Well, and the thing is, is that we have to remember it's the exile thing as well, right? I mean, on the one hand, the people of Elendo had a perfect reason for thinking themselves like the victims, right? They didn't do it. You know, they were the ones who were trying to resist it and then they escaped. But yet they speak of their own relationship 
with Numenor as exile, right? Like they are the, they call themselves exiles. They have been exiled from Numenor. Um, mm-hmm. And so they do, they take, they take responsibility. Um, yeah. In that sense. Um, you know, they don't, they don't like blame the other dudes. No. Um, the, and the constant reminder and sort of owning up, you know, this is our people's story. This is our people's fault. Like owning up is almost like a, like a cultural penance mm-hmm. almost. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it does have something like flagellation. that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So look at this big courtyard that we're looking down. Of course, it's full of goblins right now, which is not a great look. But um, look at the central domed building with the tower, with the spiky tower up above it. Ooh. This is a great little. I don't know what that was. Mausoleum, maybe, or. Um, uh, I don't know what concert hall, who knows. Um, and then you've got again, large colonnade down here, other hall. I mean, this was, this looks more like a city than, um, than it does, you know, a home. So yeah, we'd have multiple purpose buildings here with the large network of buildings behind us. It's almost like, uh, the Arnorian version of the big hobbit hole we saw in Longley. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. Um, yeah, and that's interesting. Um, it's interesting the kind of echo there uh, with the yeah. North Tooks and the, uh, you know, with the, um, this is this being like an offshoot uh, or a, a sort of a, a royal branch of the line of the king and a numinous and um, the North Tooks being a, uh, an offshoot or branch of the of the Thane in the Shire. I'm surprised we didn't see more long cleaves hobbit holes or, or or walls or anything being made out of this kind of stone. Yes. Yes, you're right. Um, no, we didn't. Um, it would have come in useful to pillage this, but either they respected or feared it or just didn't want to bother. Yeah, yeah, it's true. It's true. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, Hmm. Not sure. But anyway, this is quite grand. And so the recollect and one one thing that this is a good reminder of is that the Shire was on the outskirts of the king's domain, right? The relationship between the Shire and the king um was was real, right? I mean they were uh, they were setting up you know, when the hobbits started setting up the Shire, they were setting up in the king's backyard. Now, the king was occupied at that point, right? By the time the Shire was founded, um, you know, the Civil War was, you know, had been going for some time, indeed was nearing its end. Um, yeah. But um, uh, but still, uh, you know, the, the, that the sort of heritage of the, the kind of memory of this as royal land... Um, you know, this sort of royal preserve here that then the hobbits sort of settle in. But mm-hmm. anyway, anyway, cool. So w- next time, oh, yeah, so next time let's head out to the old links and then go up from there to Tyrhad. And then we can, uh, when we're done with that, we'll head around to Ostlagaroth and up to Hungobel and then we'll be done with the Undershire. All right. Awesome. Very good. Well, thanks, everybody, for joining us this evening. Um, 
Uh, I love putting together what we can see of the history and what that history, that the visual history that they've embedded into the game uh, suggests to us, you know, how it kind of offers us this context on the story. And in this case, on the story of the Shire and certainly of the Undershire, but even of the Shire itself. Um, but um, anyway, very good. So uh, thanks everybody for joining us. I will see you guys back again in a few weeks. Um, but uh, uh, in the meantime, uh, thanks for listening, everybody. Have a good night now. Bye. Bye.